Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Happy New Year, all, and welcome to the first Muni Lowdown of 2020. We've got four interesting stories today. First off, Kathy O'Donnell will talk about the latest on the New Jersey-based American Dream retail leasing space status and pilot payments. DebtWire reporter Kaylin Devitt discusses the arduous task that Judge Sam Glasscock has on rendering a penalty on the Preston Hollow Nuveen landmark court case. DebtWire reporter Ava Lorenz details the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority's proposed restructuring support agreement in regards to the recent earthquakes. And finally, DebtWire reporter Patrick Ferguson brings us up to date on the latest on the ongoing fiasco with the privatization efforts at JEA. Let's get started with Kathy. How are you doing today? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Young. How are you doing? All right. Let's talk about the American dream. And tell me, as most people know, it's a huge entertainment and retail complex out in Bergen County, New Jersey. So what is the latest? I know there's four stages, two are done, one is basically, give us up to date, Kathy. Well, Young, according to the American Dream website, out of this world, a black light mini golf experience will be opening soon so that you can, quote, putt your way through alien landscapes, unquote. Sounds like fun. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, according to a recent Emma filing, the American Dream Project was 89% leased as of December 31st. And including leases under negotiation, that percentage rises to about 96%. So as it stands now, the Nickelodeon Universe theme park, the rink, and Big Snow have all opened, and they opened as planned. Right. Now, I think one of the projects, the water park, missed its opening date, though. What's the latest on that? That's correct. The DreamWorks water park did not open as scheduled uh, back in November. Uh, Nine rides that were inspected the week of December 9th failed inspection, state inspection. And when I checked in with the state, uh, I guess about a week ago, a spokesperson said that uh, ride inspectors were scheduled to re-inspect those water park rides in the coming weeks. And according to her, were, quote, committed to working with American Dream to reach full operation, unquote. So it looks like they are working to get that up and running. Now, you mentioned about a recent Emma filing. Uh, Tell me, what was that all about? Yes, you know how excited I get about Emma notices. (laughs) (laughs) So this one... um, It involved the 2020 American Dream uh, projected pilot tax assessments. Now, pilot um, stands for payment or payments in lieu of taxes. And pilot bonds accounted for, I believe it was $800 million of the $1.1 billion bond offering uh, for the American Dream Project. And the pilot payments from the developer, they consist of kind of a small, uh, what they call borough pilot payment, and that goes to the borough of East Rutherford, which is where American Dream is located, as you know. And then there's the larger debt service pilot share, um, which, as its name suggests, goes to pay debt service. I was excited to see this Emma notice because I wanted to take a look at how this uh, notice would compare to what was in the, you know, the offering documents to see if there was any changes. Um, but there was a footnote in this 
most recent Emma notice on this that said uh, because the 2020 assessment wasn't available yet that the schedule and the filing was based on the 2019 assessment. So we're going to have to wait until the numbers are updated to see how those projections for 2020 would compare to what's in the, the offering documents. So I'll be uh, waited, waiting with bated breath to see how that comes out. Yes, and like all of us, waited with bated breath. Well, thank you, Kathy. I know uh, we've been talking about this for a while, and I can see it on my commute almost every morning. And I promise by the end of this year, I will personally visit American Dream and give you, everyone, a personal update on what's going on. But something to look forward to, especially the retail portion, which is opening, I believe, in two months. Then that should be done, hopefully. Correct? Yeah, yeah. The, it's going to be exciting to see how the the retail component and what kind of reception that gets and whether it attracts the luxury shoppers uh, from places like New York and overseas. So people will be definitely watching that. All right. Thanks again, Kathy. We'll talk to you again. Thank you. All right. Let's move on to Chicago and Kaylin Devitt. Happy New Year, Kaylin. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? All right. So let's talk about this Preston Hollow Naveen lawsuit that's been going on for about a year now. Give us the latest. Well, the latest is that um, right before Christmas, the judge had indicated on a conference call with the attorney, so this is not in the hearing, that he was likely to rule against Nuveen, and he asked the two parties to mediate. He said he was having a hard time figuring out a remedy, and he wanted them to try to figure out um, a practical remedy. So he asked them to mediate. Then over the, they, they agreed to do that. They were supposed to get back by January 10th to say whether or not it worked. They got back. Uh, Nuveen's attorney sent a letter to them, on, uh, to the judge on January 8th, saying that it failed, the mediation efforts failed, and they asked the judge to, to go ahead and rule. Then what kind of penalty can the judge impose since mediation has failed at this point? Well, um, Preston Hollow from the beginning has asked for an injunction. I mean, it's been an interesting aspect of this case that they haven't asked for any uh, damages, any monetary damages. Right. They've only asked for an injunction. There's two, on the two surviving, they brought four claims originally. There's two surviving. And so they've asked for an injunction, and that's what the judge is having a hard time figuring out, according to what he has said, hard time figuring out how to practically kind of craft the terms of an injunction that limits Nuveen's future conduct about what they can or can't say about Preston Hollow. You know, it seems like from people I've talked to, he now has no option but to issue an injunction, even though he hasn't wanted to. And also, I talked to somebody who's pretty familiar. This was filed in the Delaware Chancery Court. And an attorney I talked to who's familiar with the court said this is actually pretty common for judges to try to urge parties to work out their own resolution that, you know, that's sort of a practical application um, that the judges sort of want the parties to work it out because they think it might be more effective like in this case. So he's got these, you know, he doesn't have much choice now since they haven't been able to do it, and and he has to work out these terms, and, you know, we don't know what they're going to be. He could be saying 10 or 5 or 3 things that Nuveen won't be able to do uh, with future, fin- you know, going forward with, with future financings and talking about Preston Hollow. So then do you have any idea when the ruling will actually come down? 
We don't know that. I mean, you know, the judge has, the vice chancellor is his formal name, Sam Glasscock III. He has said, actually, there, there was a trial. As you said, this has been going on for a long time. They, uh, Preston Hollow originally filed the lawsuit in late February of 2019. A trial was held at the end of July, a post-trial hearing in September, and at that post-trial hearing, uh, Glasscock had said he would plans to issue a ruling very quickly. Now, that hasn't happened. We've all been waiting because this lawsuit's being closely watched by a, lot of, by a lot of the muni market. Everybody's been waiting, and it hasn't come yet. Now we know why he's been reluctant to draft these terms. So we still don't know. Uh, the attorney I talked to who's familiar with the court also said that that's not uncommon, that they could take months, to that people often will file injunctions in the chancery court because it moves fairly quickly compared to other courts, but at the same time, it's not uncommon for a judge to take a while. You know, I'm still talking to people. We don't quite know how long. It could be a few more months or it could be fairly quickly. It's just hard to tell. Yeah, very interesting case. I mean, hopefully there's some resolution. I mean, like you said, he's not in favor of Nuveen, but still, you know, I, I guess basically what I'm trying to say is I would want to be in Glasscock's uh, shoes at this point, so... Should be uh, interesting when the time comes out. But, Kaylin, thank you so much for your contribution to this work, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks, Young. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right, let's move on to San Juan, Puerto Rico with Eva Lorenz. How are you down there? Well, we're doing fine, thank goodness. Yeah, with, especially with the earthquakes. I'm so glad to hear that you're okay, and Happy New Year down there. Thank you very much. So, speaking of the uh, earthquakes, what happened uh, with PREPA during the earthquake? Let me first start by saying that since December 28, Puerto Rico have been enduring tremors in the southern cities. Some of them were felt in the northern areas, others don't. But then on January 7, as you probably know, we had a magnitude 6.4 earthquake that hit the southern cities but was felt all across the island, uh, followed by another one at 7.15 in the morning, another strong earthquake. Um, And as a result, uh, the entire power grid went down and uh, all of the electricity was knocked down and it took about a week for it to be restored. I see. So then why was power knocked out, obviously, with the earthquake and things like that? Well, yes. Um, the the earthquake has uh, destroyed. First of all, it destroyed one of the main power generators or power plants of the electrical system. As a matter of fact, the most important one, which generates about 950 megawatts of energy, is called Costa Sur, and it's in the southern part of the island. Right now, there's another power plant. This is a private one. It's called Ecoelectrica, and it provides some 450 or 500 megawatts of energy. And the reason why the electricity was knocked out is because most of the purpose units are old. They're about 60 years old. When the energy production went down, the system itself, then all of it goes down. So that's why energy was knocked down uh, all across the island. Has energy been restored, though, overall? Well, yes, uh, we have 99% of the energy is up. There are still some power generating units. Last time I checked the um, transmission report, uh, some some of the uh, generating units are not working. Uh, they're still not operational, but we have 99% of the energy up. Today, we had some power outages in uh, in the northern part of the island that 
are being repaired as we are speaking. But other than that, everyone is supposed to, supposedly with energy, and of course, but the, the system is still very unstable because of the fact that there are other power plants or power generating units that are trying to supply the energy production that was lost after we lost, uh, of course, Costa Sur, the Costa Sur power plant. What are the estimated damages for PREPA? We're still waiting for those estimates, but so far, uh, the damages to Costa Sur have been estimated at $50 million. Uh, They're probably going to be more. Of course, we have damages from other infrastructure uh, problems that we have as a result of the earthquake. Right now, that figure has been estimated at $1.5 But in terms of PREPA, it's pretty much a small portion. It's about $50 million. But that's not a final figure that might change. All right, Eva, I've got one last question for you. It's a two-part question. The, basically, yeah. I want to know the impact one is to energy consumers, and then what's the impact on the earthquake to the overall restructuring agreement with PREPA? First of all, because of Costa Sur and Ecoelectric are not operating, PREPA must use other power plants, combined cycle units, to provide that energy. These units use diesel oil, and diesel oil is very expensive, so uh, consumers should expect a hike in their utility bills in the coming months uh, because Costa Sur is estimated uh, to, that it's going to be offline for about a year while they do the repairs. It can be less, but, but it's going to be a long time before the entire plant is repaired. In terms of the restructuring, we still, the, the, um, the bill that is supposed, that the legislature is supposed to approve to be enabled, the restructuring of PREPA has not been filed yet. Uh, the legislative session began yesterday. However, right now, the last time I checked, and I checked two days ago, I talked to some lawmakers, the votes to approve the legislation are still not there. As a matter of fact, the House Speaker, uh, Carlos Johnny Mendez, told Debwire that the House is not going to pass the legislation enabling bill for the RSA if it entails a, a hike in the energy rates for consumers. The RSA, as we have been reporting, includes a transition charge that is going to be used to pay bondholders. That transition charge might add up to two cents per kilowatt hour to the utility bill. And of course, uh, most lawmakers are uncomfortable about that. Plus, we have also the factor that this year is an election year, and no lawmaker in his right mind is going to uh, approve uh, a legislation that will bring um, energy hikes to consumers. So that is the status of that right now. All right. Well, Ava, thank you so much. I'm glad you're safe down there. I know uh, the, the island's gone through a lot last couple of years with the bankruptcy, political upheaval, new governor, hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems to go on and on. But we hope for consistency. Oh. We hope for um, stability down there. And uh, good luck to you down there. Thank you very much, sir. Okay. So let's finish off with Patrick Ferguson, New York. Happy New Year, Patrick. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing? All right. So... 
You're going to talk about JEA, MEAG, Jacksonville, and basically a lot has happened in the last month. So can you catch us up to date? Yeah, it was a, I've seen a swift end of privatization negotiations at JEA. You know, just in the last two weeks, uh, December, by December 24th, Christmas Eve, kind of all talks uh, were off the table. This is after the Jacksonville City Auditor's Office found that an employee equity scheme uh, could have given uh, JEA staff about $600 million in the event of a sale of the utility. Uh, I know JEA's team kind of uh, disputes or uh, disputed that figure, saying it would put it around $100 million. But anyway, all this came out uh, basically mid-December, and a week later, this caused so much uproar that... Uh, based all these calls to basically cancel the plan. Uh, JEA's board voted five to one to remove CEO Aaron Zahn uh, from his position. And then they would publish all the negotiations uh, by the sale negotiations, the recapitalization negotiations by the end of January. So that was their plan. Uh, but because of the, the uproar, the political uproar, uh, the mayor, uh, Lenny Curry, asked JEA just to cancel the, cancel the project. So that was canceled by uh, December 24th. And remember, so this is a, a process that began in August, yeah, a little bit before that, depending uh, where you kind of view the beginning, there were reports uh, kind of forecasting some uh, financial doom for JEA. But by August, we had a sales process that garnered a lot of public attention, a lot of political attention, and that uh, came to an abrupt end by December 24th. So uh, Zahn has apologized, saying that the intentions were pure, but because of the way the plan was drawn up with the potential sale, it, it ruined the plan and uh, it kind of had no, no future there. Uh, JEA CFO and in-house legal counsel have also left the utility. The Florida State Attorney's Office began investigating the case at the beginning of the year, uh, but said it would hand it over to federal investigators. So that's kind of where we are with that. All right, Patrick. So then what does this mean for JEA in Jacksonville overall? Well, the Jacksonville City Council is planning to reel in JEA a bit. There's been a talk of giving the council more control over appointments to JEA's board. Uh, any change like that would require changing JEA's charter, and that would take a referendum. And for that to happen, we'd have to see some legislation at the city level passed before the end of April to get it on the November ballot. You know, some of the city council members, they've been maybe not totally explicitly, but opposed to the sale from the beginning. Uh, a lot of city council members felt that they were just catching up to JEA every step of the way. You know, the, the city council felt that it was behind hiring its in, in uh, its in-house or hiring more legal representation, hiring experts to view the sale. Uh, so they felt that they're behind on this process. They felt that JEA was going too fast. And so this with the incentive plan that that just that didn't work out has just garnered a lot of uh, public political negative attention so it's unlikely that the utility is going to pursue a sale anytime soon uh, they would still have to appoint you know, they still have to appoint their new management uh, they have to get a permanent ceo uh, cfo and and some other uh, other positions there what was kind of interesting so melissa dykes and she's the former ceo is now the interim ceo for jea and while 
she agreed to cancel the process for the recapitalization, the potential sale. She also said, you know, the in, the economics behind the bidding process, behind the idea to sell uh, JEA uh, were correct. So that JEA is basically on a crash course over the next 10 years and it's going <laughs> to become unprofitable. So, and she mentioned this. So uh, we're going to have, there's going to have to be some sort of plan. I don't know when this plan is actually going to come up um, because they still have to hire their, their management uh, but the next board meeting is scheduled for the 28th of this month so maybe we could start to see some some clues there uh, also to keep your eye on JEA is still fighting uh, with the municipal electric authority of, of Georgia in a, in a federal court with MEAG in a federal court in, uh, in Atlanta and that case is uh, kind of on a precipice right now uh, the judge Cohen uh, just heard all the arguments for uh, a judgment on the pleadings of the case. So basically what this could do, if MIEG got its way and the judge approved to rule on a judgment of the pleadings, then this could really uh, limit the scope of the lawsuit and, and really speed things up. And, and obviously, so JEA in the city of Jacksonville, which is party to the case, uh, doesn't want this to happen. Uh, Friday, they came out uh, with a memorandum uh, stating you know their position and basically saying that the city of Jacksonville, as a public entity you know, has a right to be heard in court and it has not been represented in court yet and so they uh, they're really pressing for that so basically if, if, if judge Cohen if they if he rules that the court the case can go ahead just on the pleadings of the case we could see a speedy trial uh, if not this this case could drag out a lot longer but uh, with all this uh, going out with the privatization you know what JEA and the city do agree on is that they do not want to pay for the Vogel nuclear plant <laughs> That's, that's clear. So one thing they can agree, agree upon. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a lot in, in, in a month. Yeah, yeah. It's just been a, a whirlwind of, of uh, different uh, political dealings and then just the, the crash just kind of in the last two weeks of this sale. And, and which is kind of interesting, too. It, you know, some people we started to go through is um, JEA's released some documents regarding uh, different bids for the utility. So, and a lot of those bids didn't include uh, the Vogel nuclear plant. So, and so maybe that, you know, that could have... Uh, uh, cause some more um, um, political uh, ruckus down the line. Yeah, I mean, heads have rolled. No, CEO's gone. CEO's gone. But like you said, the one thing they agree upon, we don't want to pay for the Vogel project. <laughs> to see what comes of that. All right. Well, thank you, Patrick, for your work today. Thank you. And thank you all for listening in. Thank you to our producer, Anthony Phillips, for making us sound good. And to all our listeners out there, hope you have a great 2020. Hope everything works out and have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Muni Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.